What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ep- Screen Geeks Radio, episode 142. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is the ghost of Margaret Thatcher's husband. Wow. Where did that one come from? And the reception is so know. good, considering that he's no longer with us. <laughs> yeah, he's using Jonathan Edwards. Oh. There you go. Is he still it. around? I have no idea. I just man. thought I'd pull that name out of, yeah, you know where. Yeah. Jonathan okay. Edwards, man. Yeah, remember the Sci-Fi Channel episode? I show? do remember oh that show. That was a terrible show. It was. It was awful. Is it the color green? Did you, did you like the color blue? Was his name Paul? Yes! <laughs> Yeah, awful, awful. <laughs> Hated that show. It's like I should be doing this. This is like the easiest thing in the world, being a medium. Obviously, it's 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 much easier than like Matt Damon in Hereafter when he has to touch people and all of a sudden he like knows everything about them. That's work. But John Edwards, man, it was like you know, did he like popcorn? Did he enjoy ice cream? Did you two ever share ice cream together? Oh, yes, yes. Did he like to husband. take surveys about George Went eating beans? Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 stuff like that. So just random, stupid stuff. Yeah. All right. Wow, that wasn't <laughs> kind of like what that just whole thing was a little bit random. Uh, wow. This week we are talking about the films of one Mr. Matt Damon. I'm saving the button until we get to the topic because <laughs> as it is, we're gonna have to retire that thing for like two months after we're done with this episode. Huzzah. Yeah, indeed. But before we get to all of that fun stuff, let's go ahead and talk about what we watched this week, past couple weeks. First of all, sorry, I um, felt the need for some Chipotle way last week, so that's why we didn't do an episode. And um, yeah, so. Do you want to explain that? Like, no, no. It no. sounds like, no, like I, the worst I want to hear the Chipotle. whole story, Dave. No, 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 no. I had Chipotle for lunch and I paid for it the rest of the night, and so did the poor people in the uh, room we were wait, waiting, waiting to go into the laser tag. Oh, those poor people. It was like 40 people in a cramped space with nowhere to go. <laughs> now, granted, listeners, most of the time, Chipotle is a happy thing for members of, of Colorado Springs. People who live down here, we love Chipotle. We can't get enough of it. I'm all about Qdoba now. Dave got enough of it. I, I'm all about the Qdoba now, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. oh. You've switched. Oh, my man. goodness, yeah. I, I brought peer, people to tears, including myself, and it was, no, thrashing, gnashing of teeth. It, it was a bad thing. Wow, so. biblical pain. Yes, man. yes, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to go any further because I can make movie jokes that would just make it worse, and I'm going to stop. All right. But, Barry, what have you been watching, sir? Well, uh, Dave loaned me a movie called <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats. Josie and the Pussycats was directed by two people, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elef- Elefant. Elefant. Um, this, of course, was the, initially it was, a, it was the first starring role vehicle that Rachel Lee Cook did after She's the One, and it also stars Tara Reid and Rosario Dawson. Um I'm going to be nice, but I, I will say, uh, let's see, where is it? You Here it is. Well, no, no, Dave, yeah, I was not a fan. Uh, Dave, you used this word to describe it, subversive. I would use this word to describe it. Submersive! This is a film I'd love wow. to kind of leave at the bottom of the ocean. I, uh, okay. I, didn't, I did not like this film. No. Okay. You, you didn't get the, the, you didn't like the boy band jokes and all that stuff? or I didn't think it was that funny. Okay. I, you know, I thought it was kind of hypocritical that this movie is supposed to be like bashing the music industry, but it's clearly such a celebration of it. And, and you know, I mean, like, Jokes about Carson Daly, where Carson Daly is in the movie, didn't feel like all that subver- subversive to me. And, okay. Um, yeah, like the boy band stuff. I thought they could have gone even harder there, but I, I. Yeah. They did a song called Backdoor Lover for crying out loud. Yeah, but it wasn't that, it wasn't that funny, though. <laughs> okay. I thought it was a fun, funnier as an idea than, than the way they pulled it off. I okay. just thought it was kind of a cheese movie. Yeah. Uh, I got to see this. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, it's called Josie and the Pussycats. I saw the, the Hitchcock film, The Lady Vanishes, which is terrific. It's I love that movie. love this film. I've never seen it before. It's apparently considered the best of his British films, and I loved it. Just a really great character comedy, really terrific suspense. It, it's amazing how many things uh, were stolen for the movie Flight Plan and done, <laughs> and, and done so poorly in Flight Plan. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Seriously, see the lady vanishes. That's a great thriller. Um, for the for the B movie side, 
even more B-movier than uh, Joseph and the Pussycats, I saw a film called Waxworks 2 Lost in Time, and I'll tell you why. In the cast list, I mean, it stars Zach Galligan. The uh, the villain is played by Alexander Goodenough, you know, the blind ballerina from uh, Die Hard, the one who fights Bruce Willis to the death. It also stars Bruce Campbell, Drew Barrymore, and David Carradine, and it's still terrible. So I can imagine. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then finally, um, one that I went back and watched for the first time since I saw the day it opened, and I have not gone back since, and that was Ridley Scott's Hannibal. Um, and I got to say, I've turned a leaf on this film because the first time I saw it, I was appalled at how grotesque it was and how it was just it was such a different film than the first one. Yeah. But uh, I like this film. I really do. Um, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. It's it's such a it's such an elegant little gothic horror film, and. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's a bad performance in the film. It, it's funny, like how in ten years, like the even though the movie is still very grotesque, like you know, since since this movie we've had. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it is a grotesque yeah. movie, but since this movie, you know, we've had Kill Bill, we've had The Passion of the Christ, and Sin City, and you know, and all these and movies, the torture that, porn movies. Yeah, and... we, we've gone so far beyond a guy slicing off his face and feeding it to his dog. Amazing that we've actually gone past that. Um, the movies, I, I was gonna. Yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say at the Oscars when Kirk Douglas came on stage, didn't you think it was just Gary Oldman reprising his role from Hannibal? That is so mean. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm not even gonna respond to that. Oh my gosh, man. Wow. Anyway, back to Hannibal. I like this film. I I don't. I'm not gonna say it's like some lost classic or some, or you know, or some like tremendously underrated film. But I I really like it. I think it does deserve some sort of rediscovery. Um, you know, it's like everybody talks about how much they love Anthony Hopkins in these movies, but he's he's so good in this film. It's such a it's really a great performance, and it's such a pleasure to watch. And Julianne Moore matches him. Gary Oldman, as Ethan mentioned, is excellent. And no, that was not him at the Oscars. And everybody in this movie is so good. Uh, it's it's just such a beautiful. It's actually a very beautiful film. It's almost like a big budget David Lynch movie. It, it's a mixture of the truly disgusting and the grotesque with with images that are truly awe inspiring and beautiful. So I like the film. I, I think it definitely deserves another look. Cool. That's it for me. All right, Ethan, what about you, sir? I watched uh, a number of films this week, but I'm going to focus on three in particular. Uh-oh. Um, I, I saw this movie called The United States of Leland. Have either of you heard of this? I saw that in the theater, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think this, uh, of all the films I've watched this year, this is probably the worst one I've watched. I, I think My Soul to Take is a better film than this. Dang. Well, no argument here. I'd rather watch my soul to take again. <laughs> like I, I, I only watch this because I want to see pretty much every film Ryan Gosling's done. And yeah. I'd heard of this movie. I looked at the reviews. It's like it'll probably just be a mediocre movie with good acting. No, not even. <laughs> Which is amazing like, considering that cast. Yeah, and it's like I, I know the, I knew the plot. It's about uh, Ryan Gosling's this teenager who kills a mentally challenged boy. And during the okay, there's this opening voiceover in the movie, and when I heard it, I honestly thought that I'd gotten it wrong. And Ryan Gosling played the mentally challenged boy who murdered someone, because like his voiceover is the worst shit ever. It's like he has this thing, this like things like, one day my daddy bought me ice cream and it was bubblegum flavor, and I'm like, what the hell is this? That was the point. Was like, oh my god, this movie. And there's a scene in the movie where Kevin Spacey is on an airplane and he finds out about his son murdering this kid by looking at the newspaper of the person in front of him. 
and, and, and have to oh, see this just movie. all the characters are cliches like jenna malone who i love is this just cliche junkie teenager and all the scenes between her and ryan gosling you know two great actors just because of the dialogue and their performances it doesn't even feel like two human beings talking and Ouch. like it's weird chris klein is in the movie and he outacts ryan gosling it's the weirdest it's like this movie came from some other planet just projected here it's like in the crazy alternate universe where chris klein is better than ryan gosling and people talk in weird mannered voices and oh my god and there's this whole side plot the movie goes off into about uh ryan gosling as a kid when he like stops in new york and like he meets the this woman from twin peaks oh it's the worst shit ever oh <laughs> Wow. Maybe I won't watch this. Well, you know, no, I, if, I, it's one of these movies I've kind of blocked out. It came out, in, I think, in 2003, and I remember seeing it in the theater. And it was the first major role that Kevin Spacey had done in some time because there was a point where he was focusing on directing and he just kind of stopped acting. And, you know, Spacey has uh, – not only is Spacey in the film, but I believe he was the producer of the film too. And it's uh, – not only is it as dreadful as Ethan is saying, but the, the scene itself – I was waiting for you to jump on this. The scene itself where you actually see what happened, the actual murder, I thought yeah. was so appalling and wrongheaded. Um, this is one of these movies that, I don't know, maybe at the screenplay level, it seemed like it was poetic or unique or something, but it just, it for me, I, I agree with you, Ethan, I think it's just one wrong-headed scene after another and one bad performance after another, which is, as you say, amazing, considering what an astonishing, good cast this is. Uh, yeah, it's a bad film. All right, then. Dang. Uh, next... On, on a much brighter note, I, I saw Rango. Did either of you guys see this? Not yet. I, I want to see Rango. To so badly. Good movie? Uh, this will be in my top ten films of the year. Right. I loved right. it. It's it's possibly the strangest American film since Synecdoche, New York. Nice. Okay, then. That's, that, that's good enough uh, for me, man. Great. I can't tell you just on a visual level, this movie is just stunning to look at and it's so, it's so beautiful, but at the same time, sort of so ugly looking and like a lot of the character designs and uh, the, uh, Roger Deakins consulted on the, the look of the movie and it totally shows. And the humor in the movie is so just strange and kind of like a Coen brothers movie. It's just all these just visual and written non sequiturs that are, oh, and uh, like, I don't think this movie will play for kids at all but I don't care <laughs> and uh, yeah oh, I can't recommend this movie enough and it, there's it's like reference it's weird it's like you know how the Shrek movies are just kind of pop culture reference after pop culture reference right. this movie does that in a weird way but it's sort of like it feels just kind of natural and subtle in the movie like uh, obviously it's referencing a lot of westerns and uh, kind of it takes the plot from Chinatown a bit like uh, the the wow. bad guy in the movie is basically John Houston from Chinatown <laughs> well without the incest but but yeah it's I cannot recommend this movie enough great great right on and uh, last another special film I saw Dreamcatcher for the first time. Oh, man. Ooh. Wow. You just mentioned like two of the worst movies of 2003. Yeah, Dreamcatcher. I, I, I really don't like, – I don't know what to say about this movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's special. <laughs> All right, then. And when you consider the fact that it's directed by Lawrence Kasdan, Lawrence written Kasdan. by William Golden, Goldman, has a great cast, yeah. and it's shot by John Seal, who's a great cinematographer, and, and this this is what you get. Yeah. 
Yeah, this like, was... I, I think yeah. this movie is a joke. Like, I think it had to be an intended joke. Stephen King has actually said that he enjoys the movie because it's like this big creature feature film, but that's so bizarre to me because it's it makes such disastrous changes from his novel, which is a great read, but it doesn't really translate to film very well. As Does the book have a scene where Thomas Jane talks on a gun? I don't know. I don't know, but it does have the... How shall I put it? The poop weasels. They are in the script. Oh. Um, and that's, I think, actually, that's actually one of the better scenes in the film, come to think of it, even though it it, it leads to Jason Lee exiting the film kind of early. Um, all the scenes with Morgan Freeman are actually kind of amusing in the book, but in the film, it's bizarre casting with a bizarre role, and it, it felt completely wrong to me. And uh, um, there's one aspect of the movie, the memory file, you know, it's like, that's something that it's sort of, it feels like a Stephen King ism, Yeah. but on screen, it is so awkward. Yes. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, that, that was a huge mistake. I agree. Certainly cinematically. And the whole concept of Duddits, which is again, again, a great character (laughs) in, in, on the page and a really engaging character as played in the film by, I got to say a very game and a very brave Donnie Wahlberg. (laughs) It it was just, it's a huge mistake. The way they, the way he played it, the way they played it and the ending, they changed the ending. Um, the ending of the the book doesn't turn into an alien that fights a vagina monster. No, no. The (laughs) ending of the book is much different, much better. The movie, I don't know why they thought they should turn him into an alien. That was such a bizarre and stupid choice. They didn't make a lick of sense. Yeah. All right. Then. Yeah, it's a bad film. I think most people saw it because the Matrix short film was attached to it, the Flight of the. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah remember that? Yeah, yeah. like they, yeah from the, the Animatrix. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Um, well, no, it was um, it was yeah yeah because they put it in the Animatrix. Yeah. But it, yeah. It used to, it was in front of Dreamcatcher, and that was like one of the reasons a lot of people saw Dreamcatcher opening weekend. And then I and then honestly, again. I think this is a movie that everyone should see. <laughs> It, it's so appalling that the director of Grand Canyon and and freaking the Big Chill and you know made this film because it, it is so bad. It really is so bad. It's 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 depressingly bad. I think. I think it's arguably worse than the happening. Hmm. Possibly because more talent is wasted. I think in Dreamcatcher. Wow. Yeah. And who would have thought? Yeah, you know, like I, even I, even with all the movies that Morgan Freeman's made that have been subpar over the years. I mean, this is this is in the top five. I mean, it's it's really terrible. Well, I, th- I will watch this movie again. <laughs> Are you going to buy it? Blu-ray, baby. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, man. Yeah. It makes me depressed just to even think about this film. All right, then. Oh, wow. Is that, was that all you wanted to go over, Ethan? Yeah. Okay. I'll go start off by going over the two movies that I revisited. Uh, first of all, I, uh, Steph, we, we've got the Amazon On Demand thing because uh, we have Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's no queue is just driving us up the wall. Like if there was a queue for us to put we want to watch in there so we can don't have to go searching for a title every time, mm. oh, that'd be beautiful. Um, but Steph had never seen Interview with the Vampire, so she watched it. And I walked in on the last half hour and forgot just how bad that movie is. Why do you think it's bad? Um, it, it, it's melodramatic. It's 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 melodrama on the highest level with with angsty little girly boys who I just want to smack really hard. Angsty little girly boys. Brad Pitt is the biggest whiner on the face of the earth in that movie. <laughs> he has to live forever with Tom Cruise. Well, there is that. I mean, but, he, that's what Katie Holmes is going through right now. 
and 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 I I totally forgot just how much gay subtext is in this movie. It's humorous. Oh, yeah, of course, it's hilarious. Just how much it is in there. <laughs> Why is it hilarious? Because it's it not is, put it, off well. I didn't think it was. You don't think it was put off well? well. No, no, I mean no, there, no. there is sexual tension. Lewis and and Lestad definitely want to do something, but they can't. Yeah. Uh, I, I, am I the only person who thinks that Tom Cruise is really bad in that movie? Like I normally like him, but I I just thought he was so wrong for it. I disagree. I think he's a great Lestat. I just with his accent doesn't work, and uh, like uh, the inflections in his voice, and just no, no, it never feels right to me. That that was one of the reasons why I really dislike that movie as well, Dave. I, I I will give it one bit of props, and the ending is pitch perfect. I think for that film, with 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 Christian uh, Christian, Christian Slater. Slater driving away, and the return of Tom Cruise. Couldn't have laughed harder. And Steph was like, "That's that pretty much sums up exactly what I thought about the past, the past two and a half hours." So D- yeah. don't they uh, use the Rolling uh, Rolling Stone song? Is it right? Yeah, that yeah. Well, uh, that's that, that is done good. by Guns yeah. N' Roses. Yeah, yeah. Not a fan. Um, Kristen Dunst is amazing. That's the best thing she ever she, did. She is good in it. She's she's the, she's the, the one bright spot to me. Um, I, I I went on this run of really bad movies, and and I started off by revisiting Jason X for some reason. Hmm. Um. It's awful, but it's awesome at the same time. <laughs> it, it's essentially the Terminator of the Jason movies. Oh just, yeah, just how just out out there it gets. When Cronenberg shows up at the beginning, it's just awesome. Yeah, the movie peaks early. <laughs> yeah, Cronenberg. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's goofy. Like when 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 they go, he goes into the, the holographic crystal lake. It's that's still a, a magical good, moment. It's a good scene. It is a good scene. That yeah. might be one of my favorite scenes of any horror movie I've ever seen. What about the sleeping bag kill? That's what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. When, yeah, when he's in the, yeah. the virtual and the virtual crystal lake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Want to have some alcohol? How about premarital sex? We love premarital sex. I'm like, wow. It was just awesome. Um. I, I will get the one really bad, bad, like disappointing bad thing I saw, and that was Kevin Smith Too Fat for 40. Um, wow. I, I, I think I'm done watching The Evening Withs. It, 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 I mean, I, I'm sure it was starting off as a joke saying, hey, we're going to get through as many questions as we can, and he spends the next like hour and a half answering one question. Yeah, and like it, it, he opens up, what is it? It's... um. What does he talk about? Like the opening twenty minutes, it's about something that nobody wants to hear about. What is he talking? It was Randall, about? wasn't it? His, his buddy, his, his buddy who's the bear. Was that it? I mean, it, it was something like either his health or his colon or farting or even like I remember like the first twenty thirty minutes, like it was a real chore to sit through. And then he finally starts talking about the, what a what a pain it was to make cop out, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And then he talks about how he almost got arrested because he wanted to show his wife a picture of the guy in red state, and you know the cops heard the footage from his big screen TV. Yeah, that, like that was interesting, but like that was really late in the game. Like I thought it really took a long time for it to get its footing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like I thought initially, was it was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty unengaging initially. Which I'm surprised because because the man. Can, I mean, the man has has a talent with telling stories, but he's like a bored. vulgar uh, a Garrison Keeler. <laughs> <laughs> he's like a just like if Lake Wobegon was in Jersey, then like it would he it would be Kevin Smith. There you go. There you go. So yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what happens when you go to Red State. See how that goes. I'll um, let you know. Yeah, because it yeah. could have just been an off night. You know that that happens to people. Oh sure, sure. Um, and it was his birthday too. Yes. And he's, yes. And he's, he's open about the fact that he likes to get stoned a lot, so that, you know... Might no, ki- I think that kind of came through in that special, I'm just saying. Very oh, loud and clear. Yeah. Um, oh, no, there was one other god-awful movie I watched. We watched... Uh, I don't know why. We watched The Last Airbender. Oh! 
And I <laughs> have you seen this, Ethan? I forget. Oh yeah, yeah, Ethan saw. Okay, so essentially, here's what happened with this movie. What happened was someone decided was telling M Night Shyamalan, "Okay, we want you to make this movie. We're going to give you another chance." Okay, so here's who the characters are, and they got th- about a paragraph or two into, okay, this is what happens in the story. And he said, okay, okay, no, no, no more. I got it from here. <laughs> <laughs> and totally spaced that there's supposed to be humor in this movie, and it's supposed to be kind of lighthearted, and it's supposed to be good and have good acting and good directing. I will say the effects actually weren't too bad. Um, that could be because we watched it on in, a, uh, in 2D as opposed to 3D. But like there were scenes where Stephanie was like, wait, that was supposed to be funny. And we're both st- staring at it with our jaws dropped. It just, I, this movie is awful. It, it retains, like, the actors they got to play the different characters look like them, but have essentially zero acting skill at all whatsoever. Um, and are different colored. Yes. And, and you know, it's like, you know, the, the, they told Shyamalan, oh, yeah, and the main character's name is Aang? No, it's Ong. No, no, seriously, we got the cartoons right here. It's Aang. No, no, I know better. It's Ong. Oh, it's just such a bad movie on mm. every level. That's a shame. Uh, something I find curious about the whole whitewashing aspect is that you'd think Shyamalan, as a colored man himself, would be sensitive to that, but... I don't... Oh. Like, like here's the bad thing. The, the, the out, Steph was like, well, let's see what else is on the DVD. Let's see if the outtakes are any better. And they weren't. The quote-unquote gag reel did make me want to gag. It was... Oh... It, it is, don't watch it. If you have watched a single episode of the cartoon, you've watched something better than this movie. I love the ending, though, when it's like, it's supposed to be like this, oh, shit moment. It's just like... Who cares? Uh, Who is this? Yeah. What? I, uh, okay, yeah. so it's the sister. Big freaking whoop. I mean, it, <laughs> oh, I hope... It, it, like, there's talk about them making more. If they do, just get a different director, and I'm sure it could be okay, but in different casting and in different writing, and just, just do a reboot. That's what you need to do. Oh. Now, on the other end of the bad movie spectrum, something that is gloriously awful is Birdemic. I have joined the cult of the Birdemic. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know if it's quite as good as, say, Troll 2 or The Room and that you need to watch it over and over and over again, but you have to see it at least once. This movie is astoundingly awful. Cool. Um, the acting is a failure on just about every level. It does have a random R&B singing scene where they're, where they're in a club. <laughs> <laughs> um, near the end of the movie. Here's the beautiful thing. It's called Birdemic Shock and Terror, although I've heard friends say it should be called Birdemic Shock and Caw. Because... Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, 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 I could have to give credit like to, the, to the people over at Geek Radio Daily, <laughs> their forums, who came up with that one. So it, it's... it's a po- I mean, you've seen the trailer. You see a bird in the first, like, 46 minutes. Wow. That's and a it's dead long on the beach. Build-up. Yes. And... But, but here's the best thing. At, 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 at minute 47, crap gets real. Like, like they have like these, they're trying to take a... Crap, that should be a tagline, Hollywood. That yeah. needs to be on like the poster for Transformers 3. Oh, crap gets real. Right, right before like, like stuff goes down, they, they try to do like these Terrence Malick sweeping shots of beautiful scenery. <laughs> just, bl- just like blank with no, no dialogue or like some music. Then it fades out black. And it's the stark sudden cutback to the city with the kind of score yeah. and these really bad CG birds flying over the city. And once in a while, you'll see one dive bomb, and whenever it makes contact with something, it explodes. It is amazingly awful. Nice. There, nice. There's a scene where a, a a squadron of birds comes flying in, and um, they they crap all over the people. Like, and it's just like people took buckets of muddy water and just threw it on everybody. Wow. And that's me making yeah. 
Um, oh, this movie is so ridiculously bad. The audio is so awful. Um, not not like like the actual audio quality. Like the foley work isn't too bad, but there are shots where it's obvious. Essentially, what I like to say is this: this movie is actually an art film, where the experiment is what happens if you make a movie using nothing but the first take. Because there are shots in this movie where it's like, that was so bad. Couldn't you just done another take of that? But it also became very clear that they were using only the the microphone on the camera. And it was never more clear than when they were shooting from outside a van inside the passenger window, trying to get the audio of the actors inside the van, but the wind was too mu- picking up too much, so all you heard was... <laughs> and you couldn't really hear what they were saying. This movie is magic. Wonderful. It's Wonderful. magical. It must be seen. Um, let's see. Two last things. You uh, mentioned Malick, so get to Malick. Yes, yes. This, this, I crossed <laughs> You mentioned huge... Malick in your Birdemic review. That, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that takes talent, my friend. I appreciate that, sir. I try. I try. Well, it's because I watched. I finally got to cross the thin red line off my list of shame, and oh boy, am I ashamed that I never watched this movie. Um, it is a beautiful film. The, the scenery shots in this movie. I mean, you could make a movie just based off that without any of the the war stuff, and I'd be happy because it's just such a gorgeous film, especially on the Criterion Blu-ray. Oh my gosh! But it's also. Hmm, I'm gonna say I like it way better than Saving Private Ryan. Because this is, I, I'm burned out on World War II. Period, movies, books, video games, TV shows, anything like that. And then I realized this movie made me realize I, I'm all about it if it's something good. And this really is, I think, a, a thinking man's war film that takes a very philosophical look at war, and just had me glued to the TV the whole time. Um, it is a, it is gorgeous. It, it has some very interesting character moments, like with Sean Penn. Woody Harrelson shows up, and his character's exit, we'll say, was very moving and very. I mean, it's very stark. It's a very stark movie in some ways. In some ways, I'd almost say it's more stark than Saving Private Ryan, even though that movie was amped up to be as stark as humanly possible. I think having more, having better developed characters, having better actors overall. I mean, when you have John Cusack in it for a five-minute, you know, cameo, and you get, you know, George Clooney at the end for, you know, a 60-second cameo, you know this movie's got some power behind it. I can see why people didn't like it, because it's not the guns over Navarone. Right. But it this is one of the most important war films I think I've ever seen, easily. Great. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's the best film of its... Best film of the year, one of the best films ever made about, about war, and about men at war. Absolutely, Caviezel was was just mesmerizing. You it. could see why he had a career after this film because uh, he's. I think he walks away from the film, and at the time he was a total unknown. <laughs> yeah. But not now. No. <laughs> kind of sad. There it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. After the Jesus Chainsaw Massacre. Um, <laughs> I don't. Well, yeah, whatever. Um, anyhow, okay, let's go ahead and move on to what came out in theaters this past weekend. Currently, the number one film in America. Ethan and I will get to this in a second. Battle Los Angeles. So it's not the Battle of Los Angeles, which would be an asylum release. Well, spoiler. That's also a Rage, Rage Against the Machine album, so. Well, spoiler, it ends uh, in an open-ended way, so we can expect Battle Chicago and Battle Denver coming soon. Nice. Because it's all about the West Coast. Um, the new film from Catherine Hardwick, who used to be an amazing director with 13. <laughs> She is now known as the director of Twilight, and her new film apparently reflects that. That's Red Riding Hood, which unfortunately stars Gary Oldman and Gary, uh, Amanda Seyfried. 
And then Disney's Mars Needs Moms, which I've seen, and I'll be happy to talk about that one shortly. And then a limited release, you've got Mia Wazikowski, Wazikowska, I think, um, the star of Alice in Wonderland. And I, I hear she's good in this movie, Jane Eyre. Um, so I need to give the film a shot because I have been picking on her for about a year now. I don't think yeah. she's, I think she's a terrible actress, but I will see this film. And Michael Fassbinder's in this film as well. Is he? Dang it. Okay. Did, he is. Did the screening already happen for us? Um, I don't think so. I think it's next week. Okay, cool. I'm going to try to make that one. And then Electra Lux, the sequel to Women in Trouble, direct sequel. Um, this stars every hot woman you can think of, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Carla Gugino in the lead. It also stars Mullen Ackerman. Um, yeah, hot women all around, Electra Lux. And then Certified Copy, also in limited release. Cool. Yay. All right, so so what, I'll let you get Mars Needs Moms out of the way. <laughs> before you guys, Because both of you have yeah, seen yeah. Metal Yeah, I'll, I'll be extremely brief. I mean, in terms of design, the film is stunning. It is stunning to look at. In fact, it opens up in such a lighthearted but nostalgic way, and it's so sweet, and it looks like it's going to be a smart movie. Like I, I mentioned this review. Like, it reminded me of like the Iron Giant. I thought this could be another Iron Giant. It felt that way. It really did. The kid goes to Mars and it, it completely goes out the window. Like he well, like he encounters this American astronaut who's been up there, he says since the eighties. And he's this guy who's a bit on the heavy side, and he comes across as basically a total fanboy. Um, the character is a total cliche to like reach out to guys like us, you know, to being like, oh, cool. Like, I mean, the character is voiced by Dan Fogler. He looks like Dan Fogler. He is Dan Fogler, and he's obnoxious, annoying. He sucks the funny out of every scene. I couldn't stand. The character's name is Gibble, and initially he's making like all these Top Gun jokes because you know it's because he's been out there since the '80s. But then like he starts making jokes that are like really recent. There's, so there's obvious, obviously. The character is meant to please all. And I think that's the problem with this movie. It's one of these movies that really does try to reach every demographic and it ends up reaching none. I can't imagine parents liking this movie. I think it has really limited appeal with kids. The parts of it that I was really appalled by, there's a there's a complete overt plug to Disneyland at one point, which I thought was kind of shameless. At one point, the line, Mars needs Botox, does get does get exclaimed. Wow. And then and during the end credit sequence, it's one of these movies that thinks it's so funny, like it keeps going while the end credits are going. There's an alien, uh, the evil alien of the movie is changing a little alien's diaper and she gets peed on in the face. That's all wow. I have to say about what? Mars Needs wow. Moms. Remember when we were all hopeful and, and couldn't wait to see what was going to happen since Pixar took over Disney and was going to make for better movies? And This is Robert Zemeckis' Imagine Films, too. And, uh, you know, it's I didn't like uh, A Christmas Carol, but it's not even on the same level as A Christmas Carol. And Does it still have the creepy dead eyes? Uh, I don't think so. I think I think. Well, it looks more like a cartoon than it does. Yeah, like, it's, to motion yeah, it is more cartoonish. Like it, it doesn't try to go for like that that Beowulf realism. I think it's, I think the animation in terms of animation, the movie is stunning and beautiful the whole way through. But in terms of a story and character, there's just really nothing here. The end, the end credits show not only uh, a bunch of needless scenes, but they show a ton of the footage of the actors in spandex with the dots on their face in the motion capture room acting the movie out. And it's so much funnier to see it that way. And it's so much more engaging that way. Like to see a lot of the scenes we just seen with actually like Seth Green and Joan Cusack with the motion capture suits on, acting it out in a, in a, in a completely empty room, so much better and so much funnier than the movie itself. Wow. So. All right. Well, I, I, I mean, we knew this was going to be pretty bad just by the reception it got at the Tron preview screening. There yeah, were crickets. I wanted to give it a shot because the trailer was lousy, but you know, I thought The Iron Giant had a terrible trailer. I thought The Iron Giant looked like a stupid film, and then I saw the film and like, wow, the trailer really, really didn't didn't get that at all. Mm-hmm. 
So I wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt. I failed. I was wrong. This movie let me down. Fair enough. All right, gentlemen, Battle Los Angeles. <laughs> you begin, Ethan. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> oh, That's man. all I needed. That's all. He's good. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I just, I was, I was, I was so ready for it to be over. I don't know about you, Ethan, but <laughs> I, um, I think for the first hour, I'll give it like the first hour. Um, I thought it was pretty intense and it was really like relentlessly action packed. Like they spent like five minutes with character. And I thought it was a good idea having Aaron Eckhart as the lead in this film because, you know, he, he really, he really does have what it takes to carry a big action movie. And no question, this is, above all, it is just a wall-to-wall, loud, noisy, obnoxious action movie. Just explosion-filled left and right. And I think for a while, I thought it worked just on that, like, base level. But then, like, around the, maybe the, two, eh, I guess like the second act mark, whatever that is, it stops and it becomes incredibly preaching. It becomes a number of speeches. Um, I'm not kidding. And, and Ethan will back me up on this. I mean, like, like, literally it becomes like Aaron Eckhart giving, I think he gives like two big monologues about what it is to be a soldier. And My, my favorite one was when he was talking about, because the brother of the guy who died in his platoon or something in Iraq, yeah. and he was like, you don't think that the image of that are seared in my brain every day. Wow. Yeah, so the film literally stops so that we can have these big monologues that would, you know, would, would probably work in Platoon, but they feel really out of place in Battle Los Angeles. <laughs> and then the movie goes back to being an obnoxious wall-to-wall relentless action movie. And, I, I mean, at that point, I was just like, okay, this this movie's done. It, it has nothing new to show us. The aliens, I mean, the aliens I thought were very cool. The spaceships I thought were very cool, but, like... I mean, the, the movie completely showed its hand. It's got nothing. I mean, it's like this card game that just goes on and on and on. You're just waiting for someone to say, okay, we're done. Um, I was so ready. I mean, I think my favorite my favorite line in the movie is, forgive me, minor spoiler, at the very end after our heroes get away from the situation, they're back in the RV camp, the army camp, and they're, they're about to eat breakfast. And, uh, and of course, there's still... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, still, you know, a lot of work to be done because, you know, the aliens are, like, destroying the world. But, like, these guys are, like, you know, back, like, oh, we're safe and sound. And they're about to eat their breakfast. And, um, and the head sergeant who outranks Aaron Eckhart comes and goes, aren't you guys going to eat something? And, and Aaron Eckhart's like, we don't need breakfast. We already had breakfast. And... And they all run off and they get in the helicopters <laughs> and they're back to battle. No. And that's how the movie ends. No. Yeah. And it like it shows them like flying off into the distance to like you know, and, and Los Angeles looks like, you know, like a Who concert just happened. I mean, it, like there's like pieces of it everywhere. And the movie ends. So it's like, okay, obviously there's gonna be a sequel. Or at wow. least or at least excuse me, that's what they want, obviously. So and considering how much money this thing did this weekend, I, I, I think the final, I mean, the last number I saw was like $36 million. I don't know if it went above or below that, but it's probably going to happen. Let's face it. Wow. Yeah, this is not, I don't think it's a terrible movie, but I'm not going to get behind this film. I, I think it's, I think it's almost a good movie for what it is, but again, like, I can't defend it. I mean, like, the performances really aren't all that special. And again, like Aaron Eckhart carries this movie on his big manly shoulders, and he does a fine job. He really does. I mean, he does the, whatever he could with that character. And I like the fact that the movie. I mean, I think it's actually a good thing that the film only spends about what two minutes establishing these characters. I think it's fine because it goes right into the action, which is fine. I mean, I'd rather have that than all that cutesy Independence Day stuff, where it's like different ethnicities, different people. Well, th- no, this movie needed Judge Hirsch as a stereotypical <laughs> Jewish father. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, okay. This the problem with this movie is just the action is boring. This movie, like, it shows the difference between someone like the guy who directed this and someone like Paul Greengrass or Ridley Scott, who know how to use the shaky cam technique, who know how to <laughs> stage an action sequence, how to edit one, how to establish geography. This it's like what to me this movie. Every action scene in this movie is like watching someone play Call of Duty. That's I've heard that in several places. Well, Ebert went even further, man. He thinks it's this is one of the worst films ever made that uses shaky cam. He thought it was incomprehensible at times, and I mean, for me, and it reminded me of those scenes in in The Born Identity where the camera is shaking a lot and you can't really make out, it, you know, what the heck it is you're seeing, but the adrenaline of it is so cool. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a fan of that 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 sort of handheld mimicry in general. But you know, I I agree. I don't think this movie really does anything to. I don't think it's the worst example of it. I don't think it's the best example of it. It's just, you know, it, you know. I gotta say, I gotta hand it though. This is the guy who directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, which I thought was one of the worst films of its year. This is definitely a step up. Not much, but it's still a step up. I would not have, I, I would not have imagined him to do at least even this good a job making this film. Okay, All right. So I liked it a little better than Ethan, but not much. This is not, this is not, this is not the event movie that that we thought it was going to be. So. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and talk about what's coming out on DVD this week. This week, uh, the Oscar-winning The Fighter, directed by David O. Russell. Um, the movie that didn't win any Academy Awards, Matt Damon in Hereafter, the Clint Eastwood film. Um, the Switch, with Jennifer Aniston and Jason Bateman, unfortunately. That's the, my crap title of the week right there. The original title for this film was The Baster, by the way, as in the turkey baster. Yeah. I, but apparently they got rid of it because they were afraid that people were going to pronounce it The Baster. Um, I'm not kidding. Blu-ray, you've got on Criterion, you've got Yi Yi, as well as one of my favorite films, Au revoir les enfants. Um, one of the best films of all childhood I think I've ever seen. Brilliant masterpiece of a film. Um, also, you have the Lenny Riefenstahl double feature, Triumph of the Will and Olympia. Wow. Interesting, yeah. So you got Nazi propaganda film and as well as a film about uh, the infamous 1939 Olympics. Um this is weird. I'm actually reading this as we speak. Ernest Hemingway's The Garden of Eden. They made a film out of it that played for about a week in theaters. It stars Mina Savari and Jack Houston, who's the grandson of John Houston. Um, I've heard this is pretty bad softcore. Okay. So take take it for what you will. Um, but I'm reading the book. The book's great. Um, let's see. And then also on Blu-ray, BMX Bandits. This is Brian Trenchard Smith, and it stars, I believe, the, the lovely Nicole Kidman, and I think it's her, her film debut. And then finally, uh, my crap title of the week, although I can't imagine it being all that worse from uh, from Dave's pick, um, Sci-Fi, The Siffy Network's Sharktopus, starring Eric Roberts. Oh, it's got to be better. It's got to be better. Sharktopus. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's go into news. Um, you know, do we want to spend any time talking about the Oscars, really? We can. Okay. Please, God, no. Or we don't have to. <laughs> I really do. I just want to put that in the past. Please. Okay. Was there anything particularly you wanted to touch upon? Um, the fact that I almost threw something at the Greens television when, when Tom Hooper won for Best Director. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I have a bit of a story about that. <laughs> Go ahead, Ethan. You got the floor. Uh, I, saw it, I saw it at the Cinema du Parc here in Montreal. They, uh, they screened the Oscars on the big screen. Cool. And like, it was a public thing where people okay. could come. And when Tom Hooper won, I actually said out loud, I want a Ralph. And the old man sitting in front of me quickly turned and said, maybe you should say that when you know what really goes into directing a film. And I was like, okay. Wow. I guess okay, sir. Uh, writing, uh, the frame. That's, that's great direction. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. 
Yeah. You could have taught that old man about directing. I, I, the only reason I want to bring it up is because I became very philosophical about the Oscars. I don't care anymore. <laughs> this is the this, this here's the thing. This is the the first year in a long time I've become this invested in like this. There's this many good movies and what is the worst? Not not necessarily a bad movie, but the worst of that bunch by a long shot wins everything. Here's the thing. I I'm. It's not fair to the King's speech because I now hate that movie, and it's not that bad a movie. Oh, you shouldn't hate it. It's a popularity contest. That's exactly. all it is. It, exactly. It's a popularity and, and, and I've contest. hit the point now. You know what? We have our own. We we have a voice actually where we get to come out with our top ten list, and I'm just going to live with it. With that. We're Wait, Dave. Do you say we have a voice? Yes. Oh. Oh. Nice. Oh. Nice. Dave, <laughs> Dave's Dave's a Dave's a closet King Speech fan. Oh, well played, sir. Well played, Ethan. I'm, Look, the oh. only other movie that won as many Oscars as the King Speech that night was Inception, and you know, even though I'll get behind it because I thought it was the best film of its year, Inception was a hugely popular movie. It's a popularity contest. Exactly. Inception did not have better special effects than Tron Legacy, and I don't think it had better sound effects than Tron Legacy. But it swept those freaking Oscars. So it's so, about popularity. And, and so what, I'm going to do so much better in our Oscar pool now because I don't care. I'm gonna okay. What's gonna win because it's the most popular piece, you know, for whatever reason? Okay, I would have won this year, I think, because had I gone by, okay, this is gonna be popular. Supposed to know this really should. Why wouldn't this win outside of you know? Well, there were some there were some surprises. I mean, like Melissa Leo. I don't. I didn't. I was okay with that though. I was okay with that too. But I I thought you know Amy Adams would get it because let's face it, most people love Amy Adams. They know Amy Adams. I mean, it's like you know, it's like when when Halle Berry won Best Actress. You know, not only because it was such a you know a, a big politically correct moment in Oscars, but also because, you know, Halle Berry is glamorous, she's popular, she was popular at the time. Yeah. You know, but she, that wasn't the best performance that she's ever given or the best performance of that year, for Pete's sake. Yeah. And so. I will say, oh, it's the same thing that evidently was going through James Franco's mind the entire broadcast, why am I here? I don't think it was quite that bad, but I mean, you know, it's 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 always like that. I mean, for every year where you have, you know, something like Platoon win Best Picture and you go, yes, that was the film of the year. Then you got like Titanic beating L.A. Confidential. No, I mean, for his hosting duties. Oh, as far as his hosting goes? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he was, he was just, yeah, he didn't he didn't seem very happy to be there. But, you know, he might have also been... Stoned? Well, no, no, no. I mean, I want to give him some credit because, like, you know, Anne Hathaway has that kind of performer background, you know, and it showed, I think. Yeah. Whereas he, you know, he's he's never had to carry, like, not only something where all of his peers are there, but, you know, in front of, like, three billion viewers. I mean, it's got to be really terrifying and intimidating. And there were times where you could tell that she was kind of walking him through it and he was just kind of standing there just hoping not to pass out or look completely well, foolish. Well, I, I think what he was doing was performance art. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, well, I guess we'll have to read the, you know, the, the thesis paper on him, won't we? All right. Okay. Well, he does, he does teach a class on himself, so he we'll does. find out. Yeah. That, that, wow, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. About, the, about his career. Okay. So it's like, well, what do you think about the period where I did Flyboys and The Wicker Man and Annapolis back to back to back? How, how do you feel about that, Brian? Well, I think, you know, can you imagine that? Wow. That is, you know. I mean, how do you say, Franco dude, you sucked in Flyboys. I mean, how do you say that? Well, I mean, that's, you know, it's like that's part of how you look at his career. Like, what is the career trajectory? Like, where is it going at that point and where did it go wrong? I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, totally. Okay, enough Oscar talk. We've got it done. We're, and basically, that's what we're doing with Matt Damon today. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but he, not with him sitting in the room on another mic. Uh, it's true. I'm just saying that would have been interesting, but yeah, yeah. very much. All right, uh, moving on to other news. Um, did you guys watch the Tron the day after video? No, no, I'm not a nerd. I am, and I'm <laughs> proud of it. And it was pretty darn good. Yeah, essentially, people have been saying. I don't know why people are saying it bridges Tron to Tron Legacy. If anything, <laughs> it bridges Tron Legacy to whatever they might be doing down the road. 
And more importantly, something I really kind of admire Disney for, I posted this on the site, um, I really appreciate the fact that they used the end of it to actually bring an end to the alternate reality game for the marketing that they used, the, the Flynn Lives thing. Because usually when a studio is done with that ARG, okay, we're done, have fun, kids, hope you, hope you enjoyed it, as opposed to actually really running with it and actually giving a proper closure in the context of the film. And I, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. Hmm. So, is that the is that the footage with Killian Murphy and all that? No, there that's not in there. So okay, I don't know if it got cut off. This is, essentially this is going to be on the Blu-ray for Tron Legacy. That's what I heard. Yeah, okay, and it got leaked. So I'm guessing Disney leaked it, but who knows? Who knows? Because it'd be gone by now if Disney had leaked it. Just okay. saying. Um, yeah, I'll just get all the trailers out of the way. Just get them done with uh, okay. the Conan the Barbarian trailer. The that's teaser good, how's it is look? so bad. Uh, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like what is it like I live, I breathe, I kill or something, I slay. It's it's it is That's it the is dialogue awful. or the, the tagline? That's, no, that's the dialogue. Oh, that's that, the that's dialogue. Conan's dialogue. <laughs> I live, I It'd breathe. It'd be better if Schwarzenegger was given it. I you know, I think it would have been sad as I am to say that. It <laughs> That's sad when you look at an act and go, you know, you're no Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and then finally, oh, the new Smurfs trailer. Did either of you actually? Yeah, that was brutal. Yourself? I've seen that. No. Why do we have crotchy Smurf in the kilt jumping into the in, into the vent, yelling, "I love a good breeze on my forest"? Uh, how are you supposed to take that? I think it's sad that Neil Patrick Harris is filling in for Jason Lee. What Jason Lee was for the uh, for Chip the Alvin Monks. and Chipmunks movie, yeah. I, I think that's that's very sad because he deserves so much better. And after seeing this trailer, I can't wait to see Transformers Three now. Because that's how bad that trailer was. It's like, how really, how bad could Transformers 3 be? After if I can this? help it, I will avoid both of these films this summer. Um, all right, that's all I got. Yeah. Barry, why don't you go next? Well, Peaks Freaks, mark your calendars. August 5th through 7th in North Bend, Washington is the Twin Peaks Fest. At the moment, Charlotte Stewart has been confirmed. She, of course, was Mary X in Eraserhead, and she's also, um, of course, one of the main cast members of David Lynch's... David Lynch's Landmark Television Series, Twin Peaks. Uh, so please, uh, if, if you can, mark your calendars and get yourself down to North Bend so the, in are August. tickets on sale now? Tickets are on sale. Okay, passes cool. are on sale. Yeah, it's a, just go to TwinPeaksFest.com and it's and all there. And I'll have a link to it on the show notes. Yep. Cool. Yep. And Go also, uh, let's see, uh, Kevin Smith's Red, Store, uh, Red State Tour uh, kicked off. Um, let's see, of course, it kicked off from Radio City Music Hall, where it was posted to give, uh, posted to uh, have one of the largest um, per screen averages ever of all time. This happens whenever they, you know, do those kinds of screens. Like, uh, well, whenever there's like sold out screens at Radio City for like, you know, for example, like The Lion King or, or Pocahontas. But of course, this being a Red State, that was really interesting that it would post those kind of numbers. Uh, so it's doing well, quite when well. You're char- when you're charging well, the, a ticket, yeah, too. 60 bucks for a ticket, yeah. Well, that's that's what Disney did for those films too. So I mean, it's it's just the it, you know, it's same game, different model. But of course, you know, yeah. instead of like Pocahontas, because you're seeing the Preacher Man, um, it's currently in it's traveling to Boston, Chicago, Minneapolis, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let's see, Washington D.C., Indianapolis, Kansas City, Springfield, Washington, and then back to Denver, which I'll be seeing a week from this Tuesday. So actually, if, isn't in Toronto? Is there one in Toronto? I didn't know? see I didn't see one in Toronto. Yeah, I didn't see it on the site, but I could be wrong. And I did see, I did check the site out like two weeks ago, so it might have been updated. Let me look. Up, oh, I'm checking it out uh, on my tablet. Yes, your tablet. Uh, what do you see, Moses? What, is, what do the tablets tell us? There you go. I, I don't know. We'll find out here in a minute. Uh, uh, let's see here. Wow. And he, <laughs> I didn't see the part where uh, he invited the uh, Westboro Baptist Church to the screening in New York. <laughs> Yeah, and they'll probably show up to the one in Denver, which should oh, you be very, think? Yeah, which should be very interesting. You think? Uh, hang on here. I'm looking at the thing. 
Uh, I am not seeing... Yeah, Toronto's not on here. Yeah. There's nothing outside of the U.S. Sorry, then. Well, I wasn't going to go anyway. I was just curious. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And then you had one more thing? My last thing in news, yeah. This, one of the most talked about films at the Sundance Film Festival last year, and apparently it was it's a film that most people say is a complete and utter turkey, but what a fascinating cast. Mitch Glazer's film Passion Play, which stars Mickey Rourke, Megan Fox, and Bill Murray. This is the film about a circus, um, and apparently... Let's see. Megan Fox plays this girl who has angel wings, so she's like one of the freaks in the circus, and and Mickey Rourke is trying to save her, but a mobster played by Bill Murray is basically trying to trying to maintain her. So it's kind of like this weird quasi fantasy version of Mad Dog and Glory. Anyway, it's it sounded interesting just because of the cast, you know, and Mitch Glazer, uh, you know, who, who wrote a lot of really great stuff for Saturday Night Live. Um, but it is officially being dumped to DVD. It is now going to be available on DVD on May 24th. Um, it's making well Fox. Blu-ray. Come on. Well, you know, I've I've secretly been hoping I, that her career I, would I end. Think... This is it. No, you go. That was it. Go. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, I know Christopher Doyle is a cinematographer on that. And he, I remember him saying that he would never do another American movie after working with M. Night Shyamalan. So... <laughs> I don't know. I just think that's unfortunate that he keeps getting screwed. Yeah, yeah. And apparently the film is a total incomplete disaster. But I, you know, I remember reading how Bill Murray basically went in because his friend called him and said that an actor had dropped out. And Murray's like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting character. So he jumped in, filled in the last minute to play this part, which I thought was really cool of him because he's done that before in other films. But yeah, apparently this is this is one of these movies either it's going to become a cult film or one of these movies that just gets buried in the DVD pile. Fair enough. All right, so, Nathan, you got a couple things. Uh, Julianne Moore is going to play Sarah Palin in the in Game Change, which is a HBO made-for-television movie about the 2008 election. Too soon, too soon. Yeah, isn't and, it? And they couldn't get Tina Fey. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, it's interesting. I mean, do you get Tina Fey? But the thing is that it's just you know she already has so much associated with her. You can't take it seriously, right? Yeah, that's true. It would distract from. Yeah, it would be like, you know, Chevy Chase playing Gerald Ford. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> you can't really have a characterization when everybody's already going, okay, this is the character, this is the actor. Will, Will Ferrell doing W. Yeah. I thought his Broadway show was spectacular. But, yeah, I agree. As, a, as an actual, like, movie, like, a, like an Oliver Stone film, I don't know if that would have worked as well. Yeah, totally. Interesting. All right, what else you got, sir? Uh, Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness has pretty much been canned. It's a shame. That's a real shame. That's a bummer, yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I know he's holding out hope, but yeah, that sucks. All right, well, shall we take a quick break and come back and, and, and talk about the extensive career of one Mr. Matt Damon. All right. Oh, wow, that button's going to get worn out. All right, we'll be back. In 2005, the crack unit of bloggers were banned by a web administrator for spam they didn't send. These men promptly created their own website in Cyberspace Underground. Today, still wanting a place to discuss their fandom, they survive as bloggers of sci-fi. If you have a favorite show or movie, if no one else can understand you, and if you can type J-O-N-J-A on your keyboard, maybe you can find... Janja.net. At Janja.net, you can find discussions and reviews in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and everything in between, as well as exclusive interviews with some of your favorite celebrities and filmmakers. Join our forums now and subscribe to the Janja.net podcast. Everything is free, and everything is fun. We'll see you online at Janja.net. Okay. 
And we're back to discuss the life and career of... Oh, dang it. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> My trigger finger slipped. We're off to a great start, folks. We are. <laughs> Jerking around must have caused a flame out. Okay, so let's go. <laughs> All yeah. right, we redeemed ourselves. All right, well, I, I think we wanted to talk about... Matt Damon. Because, frankly, this is somebody who has a career that is quite impressive. I mean, he, his first film was Mystic Pizza in 1988. And I got to say, I've seen Mystic Pizza even recently, and, and he plays the bratty, annoying younger brother. He's got this really funny scene at a dinner table where he's basically like, I don't know, playing like 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 the kind of role that Jason Hervey or or, uh, or Seth Green would have played. So it's just funny to see him like the little boy going, Mom! you know. But yeah, that was in 1988. He's had a 23-year film career now. And over those years, I mean, he's worked with Martin Scorsese, Gus Van Sant, Steven Spielberg, Francis Coppola, Walter Hill, Clint Eastwood, Terry Gilliam, the Coen brothers, Steven Soderbergh, Edward Zwick, Robert De Niro, and Frank Darabont, just to name a few. Um so, it, and let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. I mean, like, in that time, he's made westerns, comedies, action movies, war films, sci-fi films, political dramas, fantasies, courtroom dramas, sports dramas, and foreign films, even. even he did one, ro- uh, one role in Che, where he did it entirely in Spanish. So, clearly, this guy doesn't only go for where the, the big movie roles are, but he goes for where, wherever the work is and, and where some really interesting roles are and, and works with some really interesting directors, which is, I think, one of the reasons we want to spotlight him, because this is a guy who's done a lot and really gone out of his way to just go for the art as well as the book. Yeah. Well, mentioning all those directors, something that I think is a good sign about him, not only that he's worked with all of them, but a lot of them have used him multiple times. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So so let, let, let's start it off this way. What, what was the movie that got you, that, that, that first you're like, wow, that guy's awesome? For me, it was School Ties. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I love School Ties. I think it's still the best thing that Brendan Fraser has ever done. Um, Matt Damon plays. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. You know, I okay. think we can stop using the button because <laughs> okay. I want people to actually finish listening to the episode. So I'm just not okay. Gonna do there that you to go. Them. All right, Damon plays uh, essentially the the antagonist to the protagonist. This is the movie where Brendan Fraser is a Jewish kid going to this private school, and he is basically met with just a just a tidal wave of anti-Semitism from his classmates, and basically the one who is who's kind of spearheading that is Damon's character. And Damon is incredibly good in the movie. I mean, it's it, it could be one of these one-note villain roles, but he makes his his character extremely vulnerable and uh, quite relatable and somehow sympathetic, even though he is really pathetic and awful. Um, I hated Damon in the film, um, and I loved his performance at the same time. And I, that was definitely the first time I ever saw him in a movie, and I, I just loved his work in it. Cool. Ethan, what about you? Uh, I've been spending a lot of time trying to think of like a snarky response. Like I was going to say, oh, like his cameo and chasing Amy or something. But uh, realistically, I'd say Goodwill Hunting. Okay, cool. That was an interesting His accent in that is pretty awesome. Did you did you like the film as much as the rest of the world, or did not not so much? Or what did you think of it the first time you saw it? I well, I think I was like in third grade the first time I saw it, so. I can barely remember what I thought about it, but I revisited it recently, and it's it's quite a good film. Yeah, I agree. I think it holds up. And it's interesting, just looking at him back then, he's so, like, kind of, pr- he's like DiCaprio, he's so, like, pretty looking, yes. and now his face is kind of, like, matured, and you kind of can take him a little more seriously. No, I totally agree, and I think that's that, that's definitely good quality. I, you know, I, I love that, you know, DiCaprio, I mean, not only has he also blossomed into a great actor, but, like, you see his performance in The Departed, where he is so intense and so so frenzied and so good, and you think, this is this is the, the pretty boy kid with his hair slicked back in Titanic. 
it is nice that you know he's grown into these great roles as opposed to you know some actors who like never got that chance so i think a bit of the difference between the two is that i think Matt Damon has kind of kept his charisma. Well, I think DiCaprio sort of just kind of cries in every movie and isn't as charismatic as he used to be. Like, he's probably a better actor now, but I, I think he's a little more enjoyable to watch in, like, Titanic than he is just being like, my dead wife! Yeah. But... <laughs> wow. All right. Um, you know, the first time I actually remember seeing him was in Courage Under Fire. It was... I, now, I'm, now, granted, it's been a while since I've seen this, but what, he was one of the kind of the asshats, right? Or was he? No, he was the guy who's sticking up for her. Well, he's the guy with the with the drug problem. I mean, he lost yeah. a ton of weight for that film. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, he was. You know, I kind of you know noticed the guy, but the first time that I was like, dude, this guy's awesome. Was honestly the Rainmaker. Mm. Um, I don't know what it was about that performance, but he just really just kind of my eyes were glued to the screen every time he was on there, just because the way he was commanding the screen and just yeah. put it together a really great performance. It's funny you mentioned the Rainmaker. I'm going to show that to my class in a few weeks. Of course, that's that, that was like the last film Coppola made for a decade. Um, Rainmaker is interesting because I mean, you know, at that point, who the heck was Matt Damon? You know, exactly. And he, and he cast him as the lead in this John Grisham film. You know, and it was the year before uh, Matthew McConaughey. Same thing, like he was put in the lead of uh, of, the, of a Time to Kill, and it just you know completely, uh, just totally, you know, his, his career just just went up to the sky. With uh, with Damon, it's interesting because like everyone wants to see that because Danny DeVito was in it. Well, there's so many great performances in that film. I mean, everybody is terrific. I mean, it's a, it's probably the best Grisham film. It's a shame that the movie wasn't held on to because, like, two months later, Good Will Hunting came out and, and Damon exploded. It's a shame because, like, you know, when Rainmaker came out, he wasn't, like, the draw. And yeah. But people went back and looked at the Rainmaker and, and said, man, like, this guy had it from the beginning. Exactly. So, yeah, you mentioned McConaughey. Have you guys seen Matt Damon's McConaughey impression? Yeah, it's <laughs> no. uncanny. It's funny you say that. It's pretty uncanny. I mean, it's, it's one note. It's but pretty that's, awesome. It just shows uh, too how funny he is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna get to Jan Silent Bob strike back in a minute, <laughs> but I mean, I I appreciate his performance in that movie so much because I mean, it's completely making fun of Goodwill Hunting and completely making fun of how people see. Well, he's the taking two the piss out of himself so much. Yeah, no, and I I love that because. Uh, you know, some of these actors, I mean, like, you know, don't get me wrong, Daniel Day-Lewis is one of our greatest actors, but he doesn't strike me as someone with a sense of humor about himself or his work. Damon clearly doesn't take himself that seriously, and that is a great quality of any performer. Yeah. So, do we... <laughs> all right, so... Where do we want to go from here? So, okay, so 1997, he did The Rainmaker and Good Will Hunting back-to-back, and he followed up with Rounders. Did you guys see Rounders? I adore Rounders. Yeah. That's the movie that was well, like... a poker player, you must, yeah. you must adore oh, Rounders. Oh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, it started off, you know, you had Swingers, and all the, all the poker player guys were like, you play Swing... You watch Swingers, and you realize there's no poker in this movie. <laughs> and, you know, there's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, but Rounders really was the first time you had something that was about the intricacies of poker, and he was just... The movie could have been about anything, and he would have been great in that film, I think. It was just about the dynamics between him and Edward Norton. Yeah, those two are really, really good in that Famke film. Famke Jansen was great. I, I love Malkovich, too. John yeah. Malkovich is great. With the worst Russian accent of all time. But it's I hilarious. I don't know it's if I awesome. go that far. I it's mean, awesome. I think of Rene Russo and uh, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. But, uh, you know, okay, yeah. yeah. But that was kind of on purpose in that one. It, this is true. So, yeah. But, but I still loved him in it. I, yeah, that's... Such a good movie. It was a good film, and it was it was cool that he followed it up. You know, uh, I mean, it's it's a juicy actor role. I mean, like say what you will about like, well, now I need, now now I'm gonna have to watch Rounders tonight. I just get that feeling. <laughs> I haven't watched it in a while. So something like, I mean, if we were to pick a film, let's say like, well, where he's like, you know, just doing a paycheck movie. I mean, I would say like maybe maybe like the first Oceans movie. You know, even though he actually is playing a character yeah, there, I and think it's he's a good great in it. and it's a good character, but like, you know. <sighs> 
I'm trying to think of like what, what what's a sellout movie for Matt Damon? Titan A. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think, well, it's just more of a failure than anything else. Well, that was a failure. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think like because like a lot of these roles, like I mean, even something like like Bagger Vance, which I don't think completely worked, or like All the Pretty Horses, which we know like Spirit, used to be a, Stallion of the Cimarron. All right, something like that. Okay. Like I mean, he really does put everything he has and seemingly into all of these jobs. Like it's it's hard for me to think of a, a film where like it's it's a paycheck job because Rounders. I mean, like on one hand, yeah, you know, it's a poker movie, but it was a John Deal poker drama with with Edward Norton and a great cast and a great character like. You know, I mean, he could have done, you know, Fool's Goal like Matthew McConaughey did. But no, I mean, he continues to do these roles that are like that are interesting and character roles that are good. I guess guess the comparison would be his uh, buddy, Ben. Look at the career paths they took. (laughs) Phantoms. Wow. He was the bomb in Phantoms, you know. You know, Okay, I'm going to I'm going to skip a little bit ahead to our mail segment real quick. But but Jack sent us an email because he knew we were going to do this. Um, And he said, you better mention his Euro trip cameo. Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know. You guys have seen that? I have not seen Euro Trip. Well, sorry to <laughs> shouldn't have sang that then. One of the funniest things about let me start that over. The funniest thing about Euro Trip is that Damon has this uncredited cameo appearance and it's scattered throughout the film as this rocker. And uh basically the the main character, I don't remember who the main character is, but like he's suspicious that his girlfriend is cheating on him. And the main character's name is Scotty. <laughs> he goes to this concert, and the rocker is doing this song about how he's banging this girl, and it's like, but Scotty doesn't know. Scotty doesn't know, and it's it's so freaking funny, and it's 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 a joke that's like repeated throughout the film, and it's the funniest thing in Euro Trip. Okay, how do you think they like got him to be in that movie? I'm, I assume like a friend of a friend, because like there's this really weird film on Damon's filmography. People af- often ask about it called The Third Wheel, and it's him and Ben Affleck. And they have supporting roles in this movie, and they basically did it as a favor to a friend who was making his film debut. Um, so I assume, you know, that's why he was in Euro Trip, because you know that's one of the reasons he was in, of course, you know, chasing Amy. I mean, he was, you know, doing favors. The the, the reason I think you almost ha- you almost have to go film by film. We're not going to go film by film through his filmography, but he's been in a lot of really good movies. Yeah, really good films. I mean, you know, then after Rounders, you had Dogma, which yeah. I think is one of my favorite films about religion ever. It's an interesting choice because, like, I mean, he could have been like, screw Kevin Smith. I'm so past those little Jersey films. But no, I mean, he was in a really interesting, risk-taking movie there. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and in that movie, though, I feel bad for him and Ben Affleck because they're just given the worst, like, dialogue ever. Just to, like, just have to deliver basically these soliloquies with Kevin Smith not helping them by just being such an uninspired visual storyteller. So it really relies on them a lot, and they, they pull it off. So they do. Them. They do. I think they, I, I do. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of Kevin Smith at that point being being a mediocre director, but I do, I do like the writing in those scenes. I think they do, you know, in, in any of the shortcomings in the writing, I think they do make it crackle as two actors. Mm-hmm. They definitely have the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern aspect of those characters down. Yep. Um, wow. We'll skip Titan A.E., the talented Mr. Ripley. That's probably my favorite performance just because it's so brave and it's such an unsympathetic character. And even the aspects of the character that are glamorous, um, I mean, that character is a slime ball, and he's, and, yes. he's, and he's terrifying. And I, f- I find Damon's performance really unsettling in that film. And I think the last scene of that movie is, is incredibly haunting. It, I think it's, yeah, I love that film, and I love his work in it. And call it Oscar bait if you will, if you will. I I dug him in uh, Legend of Bagger Vance. He's not bad in the film. And I mean, it's Will Smith's neither, movie. I know, but and, well, uh, I don't know if I'd even say that. I mean, I, I think the acting is fine. I just don't like the film. Okay, I think it's very uh, Song in the South. 
Okay. Okay. I, I think I, I can see. I that. think Will okay. Smith is very Uncle Remusy in that film in a really naked way, <laughs> in a really wrong-headed way. And I know, I know it's a religious parable, and I, I, I defend the film all the time because it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's the Bhagavad Gita. You know, it's the Hindu prayer book and turned into a golf metaphor. I understand that. I do, but uh, I don't think the film completely works. But I, I don't think the performances are fault. I thought uh, Charlize Theron was also very good in it, and I know Jack Lemmon's in it too. Mm-hmm. Do we really need to talk about the Ocean's movies much? We can talk about it briefly. I mean, I think it's worth noting that Damon picked up that role when Mark Wahlberg couldn't do it. Because, you know, really? Clo- Clooney and Wahlberg were good friends after Perfect Storm. And Wahlberg, I think, did Rockstar instead. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he couldn't turn down that amazing script. So It's like, so it's like when uh, when Katie Holmes did Mad Money instead of The Dark Knight. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, um, he, he basically did it to fill in for uh, for Wahlberg. And I, uh, you know, say what you will about those movies, they're definitely fluff and fluffy and fun. But and he has a thankless, thankless role, but he does a lot with it. But he's actually playing a character. And as much as I like Brad Pitt, I mean, let's face it, Brad Pitt is playing off the cool of Brad Pitt. It's oh not, yeah, it's not so much a character as it is an appearance. But but Damon is playing this nerdy kind of obnoxious character who's kind of the odd man out of the group. Yeah. So. And then uh, we can get the Bourne movies out of the way, too. Yeah, well, I like that Damon has always been really open about it. Just the fact that Jason Bourne saved his career because, you know, he had Bagger Vance, All the Pretty Horses, and a few other just huge flops, just back to back to back. And the Bourne Identity was this movie he did. Stuck on You. Stuck on You was a flop. Yeah, like, he basically, he really, really needed the Bourne Identity. um, And it tested horribly. Like, apparently, the initial test screenings were a disaster. The studio kept pushing it back. Um, the initial cut of it was bad. Like apparently, like like the the first movie just reeked of failure. It came out and it was one of the big surprise hits in the summer. And he said like, overnight, all of a sudden his phone started to ring. And like that, like Jason Bourne, like really just like jump started his career again. Yeah. And I, I like what he does in the film. I think I less is less is more for that character. And I I love that he said that especially on the last film, uh, Bourne had all these monologues and they just they threw all that out the window. And said no 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 this guy is mysterious. This guy is about interpretation. This guy is internalized. His journey is not to be not to be known in terms of his thought process. Yeah. And uh, Jerry came out the same year, so he had a pretty diverse year. And I I appreciate him making that's another one of my favorite films that he's in. Um, those of those listening who don't know what Jerry is a. Uh, I think the best way to see Jerry is just to see it. Um, don't read about it online. Don't let any of your friends tell you that if you have friends who've actually seen Jerry. Jerry is stars Matt Damon and uh, and Casey Affleck. It was directed by Gus Van Sant. It's the first film they did together after Good Will Hunting. Um, Jerry is one of the most challenging films ever made. I also think it's one of the best films made in the last ten years. It's brilliant, but uh, it's not for everyone. And I and if I t- if I say exactly what the film is and what it's about, people will, will either right then and there decide whether to see it or not. But I think it's one of these movies you should just watch blind and uh, be ready. Be very venturous and ready. Okay. But it's a great film. Right on. Uh, let's see. Anything else we really need to bring up? Um, Stuck on You? Do we need to talk about that? I think it's one of the one of the few Fairly Brother comedies that really works. I think it really works. Um uh, you know, I mean, I think because like a lot of their movies are about handicapped people being funny. Let's face it. I mean, they like seriously. Have you seen my baseball? Well, like The Ringer, and you know, parts of like there's something about Mary. I mean, like a lot of their movies, like they're just totally making fun of people for for you know their their differences. But I th- and, or or even uh, Shell Hell. But I think uh, Stuck on You actually manages to be a character comedy because I think Damon and Greg Kinnear are so good in it. Right on. There's there's one movie that that was a fascinating flop and failure that I want to talk about, um, okay. and that would be the Brothers Grimm. Mm. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I, I've always liked the film. I, I don't hate it, but yeah. it's hard for me to, to talk about because I, I always feel like I'm the one person who really liked it. I don't think it's a great Gilliam film, but I think it works for what it is. Um, I was more impressed okay. with Heath Ledger, though, in the film. Yeah. Just yeah. because I'd never seen him give a performance quite like that. And for me, it was like watching Brad Pitt in 12 Monkeys. I thought, wow, this guy is taking a risk, really being inventive and, and interesting to watch for a change as opposed to morose and removed, you know. Yeah, yeah I, I dug the film as well. Okay, well, that was quick. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um, something that, A movie that not a lot of people talk about, I think, uh, is The Good Shepherd. And I thought he was phenomenal in that movie he was that character is completely unlikable yeah and it's no tough kidding. it's tough because he's like in every scene and that character is you know he's he's completely focused on the work and his life and and his role um and he's completely removed i mean it's amazing to like you know when you cast matt damon and angelina jolie together you expect all these you know all this electricity and fireworks because he's these two sexy people but really it's about how she's trying to get his attention for the whole movie and he keeps like going you know just pushing his wife to the side yeah um i need to see the film again because i think i remember the first time i watched it i just thought this film is slow this film is really morose and dark um but its best scenes are incredible. And Damon's scene with Joe Pesci is gold. Oh, yeah. Gold. I love that scene. Yeah. Yeah. There, a lot of that movie is gold. I mean, it is a long movie. There's no doubt about it. And it definitely is very deliberate and slow in its pacing. But I dig it. Yeah. Well, did, did Robert De Niro directed it. I mean, he made an extremely smart and, and ambitious and very morally cloudy look at the origins of the CIA. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty rich film. It really is. I'm uh, I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and apparently he appeared on an episode of Arthur as himself. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And, and, and yeah, and do we want to bring up Goodwill Hunting too? App? You mean hunting season? Yes. <laughs> that is one of the funniest things. Oh yeah, no, it's brilliant. It comes out of nowhere, and, and uh, let's see. I know I haven't seen it. I need to watch that movie again. Did, I know Ben Affleck has like wing-tipped hair, but does uh, yes. frosted hair? But does Damon have it too? Or I think so. Okay. And 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 they've got, and they've got the uh, you know they're getting they're they're talking to the guys you know in the bar again and they yeah. turn around and what do we do? I'm so scared, buddy. What I'm scared? It's just like oh, it's what? brilliant. It's it's, it's uh, the, the best part is when they have a uh, Gus Van Sant and he's like Gus, what's my direction? He's like. I'm doing something else, Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody knows this, but around the time Good Will Hunting came out, Mindy Kaling, you know, who was uh, on The Office, she wrote uh, an off-Broadway play that was very successful called ben, uh, Matt and Ben. And it's basically how those guys are like two – I mean it was really critical. It was, they're like two losers who like have no talent, nothing going for them. And all of a sudden the script from Good Will Hunting drops out of the sky. And lands at their feet, and how they like they take it, you know, and it's full of like homosexual overtones. I mean, it was just a complete mockery of the two of them. And they claim that they never saw it, but like the play was very popular for a while. But I think over time, because the two of them really established themselves as real actors and, and real artists, you know, people have kind of like forgotten about Matt and Ben. But uh, something I want to mention about Goodwill Hunting, I, I forgot that when I the last time I watched it, I noticed that Harmony Korine has a cameo in it. Where is Harmony Korine in the film? I don't remember that. Uh, you know when he's in jail and he's like, I think he's talking to Minnie Driver and Harmony Korine walks by and he's like, hey, buddy. And <laughs> That's great. I didn't know that. Wow. All right then. <laughs> um, did you, I mean, you know, you mentioned this film earlier in the show, Dave, and and, and I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a bad film, but I think it's, it's, it's weak sauce next to uh, the Thin Red Line. I mean, did you like him in Saving Private Ryan? I did, I mean, but he he's is, barely in the is, movie. He is Private Ryan. I mean, his you know his character is is the key to the whole thing. 
Yeah, but oh man, I I liked him in the film. I, I mean, do too, and and I, I like most of the actors in the film. It's just it's really you know, and it is an important film, I think, but it. There's not that much substance there compared to the Thin Red Line. There I just isn't. I know you didn't like 2001, but for me, like comparing like Saving Private Ryan and Thin Red Line to me is like comparing like 2001 to Titan AE. It's like one one is very deep and has a lot going on, and the other is just a space movie. Yeah. And for me, Private Ryan is is a very well made film. I don't think there's anything bad about it at all, but I think it's really earnest and cliched and familiar, whereas Thin Red Line is always surprising you. And and it's it's very fair to compare them, and it's not fair at the same time because Saving Private Ryan takes place, you know, not in the, the beautiful jungles and everything. It's it was very dark and murky, and they made a very good choice, I think, to essentially desaturate the film of any kind of color. But you see what you're missing when you watch the Thin Red Line. Well, you know, and I, I think the comparison is inevitable just because they came out the same year and they were both, yeah. up for best, both up for best picture. And it was like, okay, what are you going to vote for, the popular Spielberg movie or the or the weird art movie? Yeah. Shakespeare in love. And Shakespeare in love defeated them both. God bless America. There um, we should probably talk about Clint Eastwood because I know, I know Ethan uh, has a special, special rancor for, for Hereafter. <laughs> Um, but let's and start. Invictus. All right. All right, let's start with Invictus. I like I like them both, but I, I loved Invictus. I thought Invictus was one of the best films of its year. Why don't you like Invictus, Ethan? Because it's incredibly dry and cheesy and on the nose and boring. You didn't think the two performances were excellent and that the rugby scene was I thought they were both sleepwalking through it, to be honest. Sleepwalking? Oh, come yeah. on. Freeman what? is just totally coasting on the fact that he kind of looks like Nelson Mandela. <laughs> Matt Damon just there's nothing to his character. He does the best he can. He's it's basically as good as like Aaron Eckhart in Battle L.A. Basically, there's about as much there. Wow, dang! All right. And who? How can we forget the great classic scene where the helicopter lands on the rugby field to the wonderful colorblind? All right, well the music stunk, but what about the movie? It stinks. Like I remember my mom turning to me when he said, "She's like, this is kind of dry," and I like I couldn't agree with her more. I just I seriously wanted to just run out of the theater. It was just so dull. All right, and moving on to I'm hereafter. Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, two white cops hoisting a black kid, cheering in the air, is not great deep cinema. Sorry. Well, I didn't say it was great deep cinema. I just think it's a great film. Okay. Wow. All right, then. And well, moving on to Hereafter, one of his latest endeavors. Uh, Why don't you like Eastwood movies in general, man? I like I like Unforgiven. I like Million Dollar Baby. I like Letters from Iwo Jima. I like uh, Josie Wales. I just think I just think lately he's just he needs to slow down, take some time. Because I know you have a problem with like the modeling issue, and I agree most of his most of his if not all of his movies are very modeling, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad quality. Well, it can be, it can be modeling. Films can be sentimental. Like, I'm not saying they can't be, but I just think he really churns it up. And the thing, the one thing, you mentioned this before, that he needs to stop doing the music. Yeah, it's The not, music. Yeah. Seriously, it needs. Just hire a composer, Clint, please. Right, he's not John Carpenter. He doesn't need to do all his own music. I agree, yeah. It just, it, like, that drove me nuts in here after that same guitar theme. Oh, my God. Ugh. I don't even remember the music in that film, to tell you the truth. You're a lucky man, Barry. You're a lucky man. <laughs> Is, has it haunted <laughs> your nights? Yes, I, I, I wake up in a deep sleep. Oh, oh, oh. 
Because let me let me focus on the things about Hereafter that I really admired. I loved the performances by those twins. I thought that was a really successful. Oh my subplot. god, their subplot was the worst. I thought that was tre- terribly moving. Oh my god, why didn't I want to like stop doing this show? Why didn't you like the subplot? Oh, it's the most cheesy element of the movie. Oh, just like them having to get like uh, it was like drugs for their like junky mom. That's how the one kid dies. It's like straight out of like the Paul Haggis school of writing. It's the <laughs> worst shit ever. Oh, dang. And the movie it just it doesn't say anything deep or interesting or complex about death. It's so surface level and uninteresting. Well, it had it both ways because on one hand, I mean, it's a movie that, that, that was very skeptical about death but also about people not being able to deny the fact that there is something that, that, that connects people from to life and death. Um, but it didn't come up with any conclusions, which I really liked. I liked that it didn't like either say, you know, there is life after death or people saying there is nothing. I liked that the movie was kind of uncertain. I mean, even at the end, you're not even sure if, if Damon is genuinely helping that kid or if this is just something that he can do, like a la that guy on the sci-fi channel. That would be good if he was, though. I think I'd be more interested if this movie was about that guy on the sci-fi channel. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Because right. uh, there's, what is it? There's something coming out. There's a few movies coming out, I know, like that played at Sundance this year that deal with the same subject matter that are probably going to be a lot harder hitting. Well, um, well, Beautiful was, like I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, was pretty similar to Hereafter. But, it's Beautiful. You know. and, yeah, well, there's, I'm trying to think. Like, and, you know, Beautiful has actual cinema in it, too, which is, you know, just a bonus. I think Eastwood's film has a lot of cinema in it. Like... Like Matt Damon going to see Jarek Jacoby doing an online, like doing a live reading. I thought that was an inspired choice because that feels real. I thought that was a really interesting choice. Like this movie could have gone in so many formulaic ways, but instead like going to that book conference to see Derek Jacoby read his book. I thought that was such a, such a weird choice for a mainstream Hollywood movie. And I think that's, you know, I thought that was a really, really inspired thing for the screenplay to go. It's no uh, pack of birds flying over Javier Bardem, I'll tell you that. The ending was cheesy. I didn't like the way they wrapped it up because it's. I didn't think that it was about how these two needed to be together. I thought it was about how you know these things connect us in life. So I thought the ending, which I thought try to go for something very Hollywood, was really a, kind of a wrong choice. To me, that was just the final insult. Like I wasn't even really hating it because I was watching it on a plane, so I was just kind of like, you know, it's passing the time. But that was just kind of the final like, oh, I do not like this movie. I think Eastwood is is kind of becoming our Houston in terms of like taking chances, and I think his best works really tower over his his weak works. But even like, I mean, John Houston towards the end of the end of his career, I mean, his bad films were like Annie, you know, and like there's there's a lot about Annie that's interesting, and I think the same thing with Eastwood. Like, I don't think Hereafter is one of his great 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 films, but I think kind of like. Uh, Oh gosh, like like some of his lesser films, I think there still is greatness there because I think he's such a talented filmmaker. I don't think he can make a bad film, although, I mean, I'm one of the people that think that that Gran Torino came kind of close. Oh, you say he's our new Houston. I think he's our new Ron Howard. No, 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 no. I think Howard is Howard is history. I think I think Eastwood still has a lot of potential. I don't know. I I won't. J. Edgar depends on if the score is done by him or not. What about I will letters not see from Iwo Jima? If he does the score. What about letters from Iwo Jima? That was a huge achievement. That would have been huge for any any you know director, let alone one who's like. I know, said I like that movie. Yeah. I think it's just Changeling. That was a dud. Uh, 
Invictus dud hereafter dud. So it's and I like Gran Torino because it was at least pretty entertaining. But yeah, why didn't you like the Changeling? You you like Changeling? I did. I thought it was really gritty and really ugly and really interesting in ways that I think a lot of people weren't weren't comfortable with. Oh, I just thought it was totally a total disaster. And the screenplay was a total mess, way just way too chaotic. Again, maybe that's not necessarily Eastwood's fault, but yeah, I, I just thought it wasn't just not very. It's just a very unfocused movie. And that scene with Angelina Jolie throwing the plate and be like, "Not my son!" I just. Uh... Hmm. Anyway, it's been a while scene. since I've seen it. Yeah, so. me too. I'm trying to remember that scene. Oh, all right. Well, I, I think we can probably wrap it up here. Really? Unless there's anything else you want to bring up. We're, we're, we're coming up on an hour and 20 minutes. So. Was I the only on, one? He's, of, he's good on 30 Rock. Am I the only one who saw the Adjustment Bureau? I saw it. What'd you think of that? Meh. <laughs> there will be a... a Not a, even a word, ladies and gentlemen. A sound effect. Meh. There will be more discussion about that in our mail segment. I will tell you that much. Oh, okay. So we'll save it for that then. Uh, nothing else? No? I think we can stop. Uh, the de- oh, I want to mention something. Uh, his politics. Can we talk about that? I'm actually not aware of his politics. Uh, well, he's like most of Hollywood. He's a pretty huge liberal. But, okay. uh, he really like knows what he's talking about. Like I saw him recently and he was talking about Obama and he actually said he was disappointed in him, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Like he's not just someone who blindly like says, oh, it's going great, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really he really knows what he's talking about. And I appreciate that in an That's actor. Cool. That's very cool. Cool. All right. Because here's the thing, it's really Matt Damon's an actor who's pretty easy to forget about until you start talking about his filmography, and you're like, "Holy crap, this guy's awesome!" He seems like a very generous actor in the sense that if there are great performances in the movie, you know, it's part of an ensemble. He's not one of these guys who kind of hogs the screen. Exactly, and Um, the fact that he thought that this was hilarious, Matt Damon, that that shows that the man has a sense of humor too, even more so than you know than some of his his comedy work too. You know, I got to say, I did not like Steven Soderbergh's The Informant, but I love his performance in that film. I thought it was tremendous, but I, di- I didn't like the movie. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. We can stop talking about That's it. That's okay. We can move. Yeah, we should move on because, yes, we, we, yeah, we need to. Um, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting theaters this weekend. This is going to be an interesting weekend. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an odd bunch. I mean, you have a really offbeat, uh, real high-concept uh, pseudo-fantasy drama with um, – well, De Niro and what's the name of the guy from the A Team? Limitless. Mr. T. No, the guy uh, Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay. I th- I was sorry. Th- so when you say the A Team, I think the old school A Team. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that's where I should have went to. Yeah. Yeah. So Bradley Cooper is uh, the lead in this film, which also stars Abby Cornish and Robert De Niro. It's about a guy who takes a pill that makes him use 100% of his brain, making him one of that. That is literally the tagline. It's like, what would you do if a pill could unlock 100% of your brain power? It's like the most awkward tagline of all time. That's a strange tagline. Yeah. To wow. Be like yeah. plot synopsis. There you go. Yeah, so Limitless opens. So Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro. Um, the Lincoln Lawyer. This is... Uh, Matt, this is I this have is, no desire to this see is this Matthew movie. This is interesting. This is like his Matthew McConaughey's attempt to not only go back to the well of uh, A Time to Kill, the movie that launched him, but kind of prove to people again that he's an actor. And I find this interesting Like, because I'm, I'm going to see this film tomorrow Tropic night. Thunder didn't do that? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't think he's acted acted in a movie since the 90s, to tell you the truth. I think it's been a long, long time since we've seen him as an actor. Because even in, in films, I mean, like, 
I should be nicer because I mean I'm I th- I'm thinking of movies like Rain of Fire, which weren't good, but he was very good in that film. Um, <laughs> There's Contact. I liked him in Contact. I like that film in I general. Know. I know. Um, yeah, so I mean it's it's got a great supporting cast. I mean everybody from Marissa Tomei, uh, well Ryan Phillippe. Um, yeah, so the Lincoln lawyer, and then of course Paul, which we've talked about a great deal on the show. This is Simon Pegg, and, and so I, uh, I will see. I'm yeah. going to see this Friday morning. I'm going to because I have the day off. There have been some good reviews. I got to say, contrary to the ones we've run on our sites, there have been some good reviews. Well, for and there film. have been equally mixed ones as well. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very curious. I'm going to go into it with as open in mind as I can. I'll get the review up on Friday afternoon, and they they wrote it right. Yeah. Yes, I'm and Dan, Nick Frost Greg, Greg Matola directed it. I love Greg Matola. So. Yeah, Adventureland. And Superbad. And, yeah. and Superbad, which I also loved. Would it, would it have been funnier if Seth Green... Uh, Seth, Seth Ro- screen, Rogan. Sorry. Rogan. If Seth Rogan had actually played Paul in an alien suit, <laughs> I would have liked him more if it was him Like actually, like I don't know. Now, are you going to a screening for this? Or? No. Okay. No. Okay. No, I'm going to go. Well, I'm going to go see Lincoln Lawyer. So okay. that'll be my movie for the week. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, this is gonna be an interesting week. We, we, wait, we, wait, question about Lincoln Lawyer. I, I, I've, I don't think I've seen the trailer, but I've heard the plot synopsis. So wait, it's about a guy who like does his lawyer stuff from his car. <laughs> That's what the trailer makes you think. Something like it, that. Just the fact it, that he's like such a such a rich and wealthy lawyer, he's like completely indifferent to to the cases he takes on. It kind of sounds like uh, Don DeLillo's Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. Interesting. Hmm. That read that book? I have not. Okay. What's it about? Cronenberg's uh, turning into a movie. It's about a guy who's trying to get a haircut, and he's like a polit- he's like some rich guy, and he spends basically all day in his car trying to get to the haircut, but all these things keep interrupting him, like people trying to assassinate him and like this <laughs> funeral for a rapper and all this stuff. It's pretty awesome. That sounds great. But, of course, the film is going to star Robert Pattinson, so... Oh. That's right, because who, who dropped out? Who's going to play it originally? Colin Farrell. Oh, man. Oh, wow. If only he can bring his acting chops up to the level that we saw in Remember Me. I, I got to say, guys, like, it, you know, it never fails. Every time Julia and I... I'll talk about my wife since you talked about your wife. Since Every time Jules and I watch the trailer for What Are For Elephants... It, it always, like, for about maybe 30, 40 seconds, we're always like, wow, that looks like such a beautiful movie. And then he shows up in the trailer. Because <laughs> it looks like a beautiful film. And really, I mean, yeah. I've read the book. It's a great book. And Reese Witherspoon and, and Christoph Waltz are good choices for those roles. And then he shows up. And it just, my heart sinks. One of these is not like the others. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Oh, to be fair to him, like I, I mentioned the United States of Leland first. If, I had, if that was the first Ryan Gosling movie I'd ever seen, I'd be like, F this guy. That's true. But but then to give Gosling credit, like I think God, you know Gosling went from like films like that, and then you know of course he you know floundered in films like The Notebook and and uh, what was the one with oh what was that stinker with with Anthony Hopkins? He was Hopkins. even decent in The Notebook, I'd say. He was decent in The Notebook, but he did one with Anthony Hopkins that was totally forgettable. Was it Fracture? 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 Yeah. Fracture? Yeah. Like I mean, he did you know bounce back to great roles, but like Gosling never did a film like Remember Me. Or yeah. yeah. Well, United States of Leland comes close, but uh, it does. Actually, Gosling, I mostly know him because growing up, he was on a lot of Canadian sitcoms. Oh wow. Yeah, like uh, Breaker High. It was a show about a high school on a cruise ship, and he was like <laughs> kind of like the charismatic, goofy guy. It was. That's a great good. concept for a show, man. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think the first thing I ever saw him in, other than Kids Incorporated, um, had to be. He was uh, on Kids Incorporated. Yeah, he was one of the kids. Uh. 
All that show. Was it was awful. on that. Um, and what was it? Uh, oh yeah, Murder Murder by Numbers with with uh, Sandra Bullock. He and Michael Pitt were the two serial killers in that. And I thought he was excellent in that. I think that movie in general is pretty underrated, but uh, I like him in that. All right. Cool. All right. And then what's coming out on DVD? All right. DVD. Well, there's some crap and some good stuff. Yeah, uh, let me go with one that I, will, I really want to defend because this movie just got sharded on uh, last Yogi Christmas. Bear? No, no, oh. no, no. That would be <laughs> the new film by James Earl Brooks, How Do You Know? Um, it, look, if you go into this movie expecting real gritty, real-life dialogue, you're going to hate this film. In fact, I think Ethan will definitely hate this film. Um, if you uh, go in kind of expecting a fantasy, <laughs> um, I, I think you'll like this film. Have you seen this, Ethan? I like James L. Brooks a lot, so I intend to see it. Okay, because I think if you go in expecting something like broadcast news where the, where the dialogue is very elevated and, and very much like how we wish we could talk but don't really talk, I think I think this movie will like go Dawson's over very Creek. well. There you go. Um, I, I, I don't really know what happened with this film because I admit there it definitely has its problems, but I really like this film a lot. This is Reese Witherspoon, uh, Jack Nicholson, Paul Rudd, and Owen Wilson. I thought the stars were great. I thought I thought this was a really solid film. I don't know what happened, um, but it was one of the it's one of the biggest flops of all time. Um, speaking of one of the biggest flops, uh, last year also opened up around the same time. Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie in The Tourist, sadly from the director of The Lives of Others. Yeah. huge flop uh, movie sadly not a huge flop in fact it made about 90 million dollars that would be Yogi Bear with uh, the voices of Dan Aykroyd and Justin Timberlake both of whom I, I like very much um, a film that apparently needs to be buried underneath a, a scrap heap uh, preferably under the ones that were now Los Angeles and Battle Los Angeles that would be uh, the Strauss Brothers Skyline um, I haven't heard one even like remotely positive thing about this one yeah neither have I which is amazing because I thought the trailer looked pretty cool uh, what else we got? Here we go. Stand By Me, one of Rob Reiner's great films, one of the great films of the 80s, the 25th anniversary edition. Um, I know f- uh, from an article, apparently, uh, let's see, Rob Reiner, Corey Feldman, and I think two of the other cast members sit down and, and discuss the film um, on a commentary. Right um, on. So I'm going to check be... it out because I've got the two disc, the one that came with the soundtrack. Nice. Yeah. It's a great soundtrack. It's a, it's a great film. Listeners, if you haven't seen this, this is one of the best Stephen King films. It's not a horror film. It's a film about Wait, growing up. Wait, better than Dreamcatcher? Amazingly, yes. It is better than Dreamcatcher. I think, my, this is strictly my opinion, but I think Rob Reiner has done the two best Stephen King films. I think Stand By Me and, and Misery are it because I think they're both better I than... I love their, Misery. I think they're both better than the source material and they're just brilliant films. Um, and you know what? You, you, for all the great performances in Stand By Me, and you know, I think of River Phoenix, but like Will Wheaton is off the charts, good in this. Yep. Anybody who wonders, like, why is Will Wheaton so big? Well, look at his performance in this film. It is, it is astonishing. It really is. And then finally, I'd love to end on this note. I think one of the best documentaries of all time. It won the Academy Award in 1984 for Best Documentary Feature. That is The Times of Harvey Milk. Uh, the film Gus Van Sant made is very good, but it is nowhere near as good as The Times of Harvey Milk. So this check is it a out. Criterion DVD and Blu-ray, yeah. so, which is cool. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to a little bit of mail and get the heck out of here. Uh, first one up is from Jack, which if you aren't checking out Screen Geeks, uh, what was it, screengeeks.co.uk, you're missing out. He's getting a whole bunch of good stuff up there. Jack's In- the man. Including, was it the fantasy version, Age of the Dragons? It's it's like a fantasy version of Moby Dick with Danny Glover as the uh, Ahab role. Wow. Oh, it, it, the trailer is, wow. Yeah. That sounds promising. <laughs> Indeed. All right, so anyhow. Hey, guys, heard you were doing a Matt Damon episode, and I thought I'd offer my tiny input. Dam- Damon is probably one of my favorite working actors, but he has one film that nobody seems to mention, Stuck on You. To me, Stuck on You is one of the most underrated comedies of all time. 
It's not the of all time. It's not the best comedy ever, but it does make me laugh and has a lot of heart. Matt Damon should do more comedy as it actually suits him quite well. He's the only reason I've ever heard of Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> wow. That's yes, yes. I salute you boys on doing a shout out to Damon as as he is an actor who thoroughly deserves it. Cheers, Jack. P.S. Better mention this is his Eurotrip trip cameo. And P.P.S. Saw the Adjustment Bureau. Damon wins again. <laughs> Damon wins again. Well, I guess that, that kind of sums up the plot, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and the, the video he did with Sarah Silverman, I'm effing Matt Damon, is a stinking hilarious video. As is the sequel that was yes, put out. Yes, yes, yeah, with, yeah. with Ben Affleck, yes. Yeah, I, I'll say briefly about the Adjustment Bureau, and I definitely want to hear Ethan's take on this. Like, I... I, I want to say first of all, I mean, I'm not like going to the to the plate for it, saying it's like one of the great films of the year. I mean, it's a, if, I, I think it's it's such a little film and it's such a low key film. I mean, the the comparison I've been using on the show is something like Somewhere in Time or The Time Traveler's Wife. It's a little film where the sci-fi element is is not even remotely as interesting as or or promoted as much as the the love story angle. It's a silly film, and if you think about it, I mean, it's it's completely and utterly preposterous. But I like the ideas that it has, and more importantly, I really wanted Damon and Emily Blunt to, to end up together so I think in that way the film really really works but it's it's such a little little film it's it's hard to I don't even think I'm going to be thinking about this film or remembering it at the end of the year to be honest even so sorry I, I think the sound cut out oh well you call it a little film I call it a minor film okay yeah yeah you know and and I, I think I would probably use it with less harsh connotations but i agree it is it is a minor film certainly in his filmography and certainly this year but considering the films that have come out this year um i'm just i you know what after like weeks and weeks of february movies particularly specifically the roommate it was nice to see something that i thought even in its in its very low scale expectations and very low scale presentation i think it works i do think it works. Uh, i prefer drive angry sorry is it good i haven't seen it yet it's pretty fun Okay, because I haven't heard anybody tell me it's any good. Like, because, uh, I mean, even at, a, like, a drive-in 3D movie level, I heard it was pretty bad. But but, but you liked it? you think it works as a kind of a kind of a B, B film or? Barely, barely, <laughs> but it, it does. Okay. Is it worth seeing on the big screen or should I wait for, for DVD? That's probably gone by now. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Cool. All right, and then we have one more letter to get through. It's a long one, and it has a little something for all of us. Okay. Uh, hey, Barry, hearing you talk about Pet Cemetery reminded me that the time I saw it when it was first released in theaters, and about 30 minutes in, I turned around and saw that the other theater patrons had left. That's right, Pet Cemetery, all alone in the dark. Shit. Best experience for scary fun. And at the time, <laughs> I was totally crushing on Daniel Midkiff. No, really. So I'm also against a remake. Boo. <laughs> Uh, right. Speaking of unnecessary movies, Variety says that there are possible prequels and sequels to Blade Runner in the works. Oh, yeah. Make me cry yeah. large movie tears to a dramatic score. <laughs> uh, and this is a little something to Jack. Howdy, Jack. Notice that your Nicholas Holt posted on Screen Geeks UK scooped Entertainment Weekly magazine by something like two weeks. And your post had more content, too. Well done. Yeah. 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 Jack is doing a bang-up job over there. Yes, he is. Um, hi, Dave. Thanks for the redo on ScreenGeeks.com and adding the new ScreenGeeks.co.uk. Looking good. Are you, Billy Flynn, and Mr. Chris doing a starting a podcast panel at Starfest again this year? Any chance of doing a combined Twisted Screen Geeks weekly news and commentary podcast at the con? <laughs> Especially now that Twisted Geeks is pairing up with Screen Geeks. Um, you know, I'll, I'll address all this at once. We are not doing a panel this year. Um, last year was kind of a disaster and just just the way the room was set up and everything. But more than that, we want some downtime to relax and maybe catch more interviews and do things like that. 
Um, we are talking about doing a, a team-up podcast on that Saturday, just all of us getting together, possibly with the guys from JoJo.net, uh, Chris and Steve, and maybe John, if he's not running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Great. So, yeah. Um, and, yes, we, we I am starting a little thing called the uh, the SG Podcast Network, uh, which is essentially us hosting podcasts that I think are worthy of, uh, that need a voice, and I want to help out some. So Great. we're bringing the Jesus Geeks over, the Twisted Geeks over, and I think we're going to do his uh, audiobook uh, on the Edge of Darkness as well. Can we just have the Jesus Geeks and the Twisted Geeks like arm wrestle each other? Well, they're the same people, pretty much. The same so. people? Well, Chris does the same one, yeah. We're, we're, oh, he, okay, cool. Yeah, so it's it, it, it's it's more about geek and entertainment news and stuff like that as opposed nice. to taking the religious bent on things. Gotcha. Um, and then, Ethan, I have nothing to add that hasn't already been said before. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> you said that about several <laughs> movies. <laughs> Oh, 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 so she's quoting Ethan there? Yes, yes. Okay, I thought that was something like, you never called me, Ethan. That sounded like... No, 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 like, that was... Yeah, no, yeah, you know, I was like, you, whoa, like, what you, did I ever do? You, you know what you did, Ethan. <laughs> no, no, like like when we're talking about the Seven Samurai, you and I go on and on and on about it, and he says, I have nothing to add to that hasn't already been said. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was just... Okay. Nice, so um, she's quoting you. Yes, yes. And then a question for everyone on the show when you read this. I was listening to some older Screen Geeks episodes, and the initial opinions of 127 hours prior to the movie's release were less than stellar, and you all ended up liking it. <laughs> I'd love to hear you discuss your I Was So Wrong movies. Either movies you started off cold on but ended up loving, or something you were totally psyched for and then felt, felt the hate. Thanks, Chris. Want to just so, make that our next topic, the I, th- I Was I think, So Wrong episode? I think I, I think that would be a fun episode yeah, to do. agreed. So yes, yes. Thanks, Chris. She is awesome. Um, I still owe you audio, which I'm going to try to record after this. Uh. I mean, I could just really quickly speak for myself. I mean, 127 hours. I mean, I was just such a jerk about Danny Boyle, frankly. I, yeah. I was done with him. I didn't like Slumdog. I haven't liked anything he's done since Train Spotting. So I, I was not looking forward to the film because I thought that sounded like an odd subject for him. Not to mention, you know, the the, the James Franco show. And then you see the film as as you and I did as at a preview, and, and and I know you and I were just like, that's pretty dang good. It, it was a pretty darn good movie. I still think I like Buried better, especially as a mm. one man show. Um, but this was a there's no doubt this was an, an excellent movie. I was worried about you know it's a guy stuck to a rock for an hour and a half. Yeah, and that's that's exactly where I was too. And uh, and I think I was looking forward to Buried more just because you know you know Ryan Reynolds and whatnot. But uh, I think Buried is more of a stunt. And, and I say that respectfully because Barry's a great movie, but I think it's more of a stunt. I think 127 Hours somehow feels like a more full film. But, and yeah, uh, I, I don't think Ryan Reynolds' performance in Barry touches James Franco's, to be honest. And I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think I think the film itself is is one note, not in a bad way. I mean, it just it has bigger limitations than than 127. And hours that's why does. I admire it more. I think because they did put those limitations in. But 127 I mean, right, Hours right. is a great film. I think it is very good. Like yeah. just because it wasn't in my top ten doesn't mean it wasn't in my honorable mentions. Yeah, likewise. I just think there was there there managed to be enough good movies last year to kind of kick it out of the top ten. But no, I I, I agree with you, Dave. I mean, I think 127 hours was great. And I, I was wrong simply because you know I was just like you know it's screw Danny Boyle. I, that guy can't do anything. To, and, and I saw the movie and went, oh, I was yeah. wrong. It's yeah. great. He's great too. <laughs> Did you want to chime in on anything, Ethan? Good flick. Good flick. He Fair said enough. everything that he has to say. He has, yes. All right, well, if you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. You can email us at podcast, Ethan, Barry, or Dave, all at screengeeks.com. Um, we're working, I'm actually working on getting the voicemail changed over to something else, um, so don't leave voicemail right now. Um, <laughs> just figure I should just throw that out there. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about just how wrong we've been in the past next week. But until then, this is Dave. This is Barry. This is Ethan. Take it easy. Thank you.